At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Confession is a necessary habit to have in our walk with Christ. It's something that can be uncomfortable or bring up feelings of guilt and shame. Even though we may be hesitant to confess our sins, He reminds us in His Word how vital confession is to our relationship with Him. In Psalm 51, David comes in full surrender, bringing his sin, shame, and guilt to God, asking for a renewed spirit and a cleansed heart. Join us in a new series titled, Confessions, Erasing Shame and Experiencing Renewal, where we'll learn why practicing confession is so important. Well, good morning, White Lake family. Great to see you today. I'm going to ask, uh, I'm just going to begin today by asking for a little bit of grace. Uh, I spent most of the week out sick, and so I'm going to try to get through today. So I'm just going to go ahead and ask for a little grace as we get started. But I do want to begin today by uh, turning the clock back a few months, uh, heading back to the glorious month of December 2023, when our city, our region, and our state was abuzz with excitement for our Detroit Lions. All right, it's a, it's a fond memory, isn't it? It was, a, it was a good time, it was a good run, but what you also need to know is at the very same time, another Detroit team was experiencing the opposite end of the success spectrum. On December 30th, the Detroit Pistons, and they lost for the 28th straight time tying an NBA record for futility in a season. Yeah, very impressive. So what you have is you have one coach, Dan Campbell, kind of being reaching hero, cult-like status in the region, and you have another, Monty Williams, carrying the burden of loss after loss after loss. As his team was nearing the league record-tying 28th straight defeat, here's what Williams told the press. He said, nobody wants something like this attached to them. Bottom line is this, it's my job. It's my responsibility. So while the five athletes that take the floor, they are the ones that win and lose. At the end of the game, when the scoreboard shows, they walk off the court. What happens is the responsibility falls to Monty Williams. He faces the press. He faces the questions. He feels the pressure. And so therefore, he must take responsibility. You see, responsibility is what's expected of leaders. Whether we're talking about an NBA coach, a parent as we seek to lead our family, or an ancient king. Responsibility is what is required of men and women as we try to process the sin in our lives as well. You see, responsibility will not allow us to just kind of look at sin and just think, oh, it's just a little mistake. Oh, I just, just had a little misstep there. Responsibility will not allow us to dismiss that, to turn a blind eye to it, and to say it's no big deal. It is sin. And so responsibility calls us. To one thing, 
It calls us to confession. Confession requires that you and I take responsibility for our sin. That is how believers like you and me can face the reality of the sinful thoughts, the sinful actions that we struggle with on a week-after-week basis. So church, today we're going to learn once again from a man who sinned big time. He sinned boldly. He sinned very publicly. His name was King David, and we're going to read his thoughts after we pray. Would you pray with me? Gracious God, Heavenly Father, we pause today, God, as a people in need, A people who are broken, a people who are sinful, a people who fail day after day after day. We pause as a people who know that about ourselves, and yet we recognize that you are the one that can give us ultimately what we need, and that is forgiveness. You can give us mercy. You can give us Your grace. You can give us strength to press on. You can give us all of those things in You alone. And that's why we're here. To meet with You. To bring an offering of praise to You. To acknowledge that You are God. That You are holy. And You alone can fix us. And so, God, we pray that through the power of your Spirit, you would do that. God, we pray now that as we turn to your Word, we acknowledge that it is truth and it has exactly what we need to walk out our faith in real and practical ways in the week ahead. So, God, give us eyes to see this truth today. God, we ask for ears to hear this truth. And then, God, may you find our hearts humble, submitted before you to do your work in us through your word. And we ask this all in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Well, this morning, church, we are continuing our confession sermon series as we are considering the spiritual discipline that many of us overlook on the journey of faith. It's the practice of confessing our sin to a holy and righteous God. Last week, Pastor Kevin showed us that David begins his prayer in Psalm 51 by calling on the amazing character of our God. He helped us see the immeasurable mercy that God has for His people as he looked at just those first two verses in Psalm 51. We're going to be building upon that foundation today, but here in week three, we're going to reflect once again on David, his epic failure. You know, failure is not something to look away from. Failure is something to embrace and seek to understand what happened and what we can do with it. And so we look to David and see where he, he, he sinned with Bathsheba where he sinned against her husband Uriah. And David's choices are exposed and he is completely undone. And so the king writes. He 
writes Psalm 51. So let's grab our Bibles and turn there together. Once again, we're looking at Psalm 51. You're going to find that on page 474 in our church Bibles. Uh, Again, Psalm 51. Now, as Pastor Kevin read the first two verses last week, we're going to read that for context and then work our way into uh, verses 3 through 6, which is what we will be focusing on today. Here is what David writes. Have mercy on me, O God. According to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions. My sin, well, it is ever before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. So behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Let's pause right there. After he pleads for the character of God to shine forth in mercy, David does something very important. He acknowledges his sin. He takes responsibility. I'm pausing there for a reason. Because it's very important that you and I pause there as well. You might say, wait a second, Pastor, you're just kind of getting started. Why are you pausing and making such a dramatic emphasis on that particular point? Because what happens in verse 3 is really what will guide us and direct us the rest of our time together. For here's what he writes, he says, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. David humbly acknowledges his sin. He makes a pair of statements to reveal this awareness. He knows his transgressions. And he says his sin is always before him. It's constantly and consistently on his mind. It's that thing that he can't shake. The thoughts, the emotions that go with such epic failure continue to stir and rattle around in his being. We know what that's like, don't we? I mean, each and every one of us know exactly what that feels like. Our sin is not at the level of David's. It was not in this public massive display. None of us are kings. And yet we understand when David writes the words, my sin is always before me. You see, we know what we said to our spouse. We know that thing that we did to our friend. We know the way that we responded to our child. 
We know it was wrong. We know it was sin. And the fact of the matter is, it just continues to roll around and rattle around in our heads. In those moments, where do we go? Where do followers of Jesus turn when our sin is always before us? We carry this guilt, we carry this shame with us. Where do we go? Well, like David, we must acknowledge our sin. We must take responsibility for our sin and take it before a holy and righteous God. And when we do, what we'll find is that God is just. Almighty God is just in dealing with your sin and with mine. This means that God deals with His creation perfectly. He deals with your sin and my sin in the way that a holy God should. He shows no partiality. Now here's what that means. Far too often when you go to church or when you're talking about Christianity, far too often you hear about the fact that God is love. And He is. But far less often, what you hear is God is judgment. And He's that too. Why? Because that's what God's justice demands. God's justness. He is holy and He is righteous. And while this this might seem counterintuitive to us in this moment when we're wrestling with our own sin, believers can actually find comfort in knowing that our God is just. We can find comfort because what we know is that we will be judged fairly. Not on some shifting scale, not something that we have to guess about. We will be judged fairly. And this gives us confidence. Because in the midst of our shame and our guilt, we can come to God with a humble-hearted posture of confession. And we can trust that He is both a loving God and He is a just God. And He will deal with His people justly. This is why the words of verse 4 are so important to us. David says, against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. David recognizes his own sinfulness. And as we talked about, his sin was very public and it hurt many, many people. He also understands that after the embarrassment and the shame had come, there remains only one who could be truly outraged by his sin. And that is the one who would ultimately enact judgment upon him. Almighty God. Let's continue in our text. Look at verse 5. David says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Here, David offers us a little lesson in theology. You didn't know you were going to get that today, but right there in the text, a little nugget of truth for you, a little lesson in theology. You guys ready? Here it is. That's original sin. 
In the words of the prayer of David's confession, David recognizes the reality of original sin. He states clearly what's true of you and what's true of me. That from birth, before I could do anything good or before I could do anything bad, I was sinful. We were sinful. We inherited sin from Adam, and that's what David acknowledges here, original sin. He confesses this sinfulness to God. He confesses his brokenness to God. Now, if we tend to be on the, uh, on the conspiracy side of things, we might look at this and say, well, wait a second. What happened is, is David sinned big time, and now what he's doing is he's blaming someone else. He's, he's not taking responsibility. Actually, he is. Theologian James Montgomery Boyce helps us understand. He said he sinned because he's a sinner. And because he is a sinner, he is certain to sin again and again unless God helps him. You see, what David does in this portion of his confession actually reveals a deep reliance upon God. It is a total dependence upon God. This is so important for sinners like you and me today because it is only God who can help us. It is only God who can help us in that condition. Now let's get real for a moment. You had a great week. Maybe some of you had a terrible week. I don't know. But here's what happened. When you walked in today, you got comfy, you set your Bible down, you said hello to a few friends, but the reality is you struggled with something this week repeatedly. There was a sin in your life. Maybe it was lust. Keeps cropping up again and again. And the fact of the matter is you can't fix it. But God can. Maybe your sin this week was greed. You just wanted a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. The fact of the matter is you can't overcome that. But God can. Maybe you struggled with deep-seated anger. You can't defeat it. But God can. When we confess our fallen nature, believers, when we, when we lay it down and confess our fallen nature before God, what happens is we take an ultimate posture of humility. When we acknowledge that we cannot do it. When we confess, God, I've been sinful from birth. My thoughts are sinful. My actions are sinful. My attempts to fix myself and prop myself up and do better, that's sinful. When we ultimately just come to the end and say, God, I surrender to you. That's when He can fix us. 
You see, God loves a genuine heart of humility. So let's get real with each other. If you're here in church this morning and you're wondering, you're kind of pondering what it is that God wants for you, what, what can I do to be a better husband? What can I do to be a better mom? What can I do to be a better son or a better daughter? What can I do to be a better friend? What can I do to be a better life group leader? What can I do to be a better employee, to be a better boss? Fill in the blank. It doesn't matter. David gives us the answer. He says, God desires men, women, and children who are repentant, who take responsibility and repent. Men and women and children who know that He is a loving God and a just God. And men, women, and children who are fully and completely dependent on God for everything. For all of life. This is why I love the famous quote by C.S. Lewis. He says, you may forget, but you are at every moment totally dependent upon God. How many moments is that? Every Every moment. Now let's turn to our final verse. Verse 6. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. From a repentant and dependent heart, the words of David's prayer turn positive. They help us see something new, God's desire for a pure heart within us. You see, as we've read these first six verses, it's easy to see that David has been humbled. He began and maybe had a posture of arrogance that's led him down this path of sin, and he gets to the point where his arrogance has deceived him. And here he prays for his heavenly Father, acknowledging that only in him does he find truth, only in God is their wisdom. Only in Him is it found. And so only in Him, in humbling ourselves before Almighty God, do we receive the wisdom of God. This is why Solomon, the son of King David, writes in the book of Proverbs, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. You see, without godly fear and the wisdom that comes from our Heavenly Father, our hearts will never be right with God. But this does lead us to a couple of real practical questions, doesn't it? How do I get that pure heart? I mean, is that something that I can kind of lather up and cleanse myself? Can I do that? Can I purify my own heart and give myself this kind of spiritual makeover? Of course not. 
this heart cleansing, this purification, this secret wisdom comes only through Jesus the Son. This is why the Apostle Paul explains it in Romans. He says, the work of the law is written on their hearts. While their conscience also bears witness, and their conflicting thoughts accuse or even excuse them on that day, when according to my gospel, God judges the secrets of men by Christ Jesus. This means, quite simply, everything has been placed under the authority of Jesus the Christ. God knows the thoughts of men. He knows the things that we have done. He knows the things that we have left undone. And what God asks of His people is where you and I began this morning. He asks us to take responsibility for who we really are. Not the image that we put on with our nice clothes when we showed up to church on a Sunday morning. Not the image that we put when we pick our best pictures and put those on social media. It's not what we're talking about. We're talking about what God asks is when all of us, every single person here, has to take an accurate and deeply honest personal assessment of our lives, of the condition of our heart. The words of 1 John 1 help us understand why this is so important. He says, if we say we have no sin, well, then we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, He is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. White Lake family, as we close out our morning, I want to invite you to a few things. I want to invite you to take responsibility for your sin. You do that when you come before God and you confess your sin and you acknowledge it before a loving and just God. When you repent of your sin, in your striving, in your self-serving ways, you lay that down before Him and you say, I believe and I depend fully upon the sacrificial work of Jesus Christ upon a cross. I want to close the words of a legendary pastor by the name of Charles Spurgeon. I think it helps. It helps us to understand the significance of Jesus. He said, you, (laughs) you are a great sinner. But He, He is a greater Savior. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org slash connect to introduce yourself today.